count to three. Come with me and you'll be in a world of... Do, re, mi, fa, so, la, ti, do. You have found Daniel Donato's Lost Highway. That lost highway. Yes. Imagine you were on a roller coaster every single day for about 150 days in a row. What would happen? Well, the roller coaster would be a little exciting at first. Ooh, I didn't know it stopped there. Ooh, I didn't know it turned right there. Oh, wow. About day 50. Okay, I'm getting used to this roller coaster. Oh, wow, we're going up again, we're going down. Okay, now we're going back around. Okay. Towards the final end of these 150 days of the roller coaster, you start to need it. You're starting to bite your nails before you even buckle in your seatbelt. Oh my god. Touring people, it is the roller coaster. Touring is the roller coaster. We are no longer touring. And I miss this roller coaster really badly. I'm, I'm, I realize how much I need it. I need that energy. Uh, there's a thing that humans have. I'm not sure if other animals do, but there's a term called hedonic adaptation, which is where it's a callus we develop to sensory inputs that affect us on a minute-by-minute -minute basis daily. And uh, it's good because real bright lights and certain smells in certain cities and certain hours you have to sleep in the day all these things come to affect us less in a general way so we can operate on a stronger and more efficient base level this is a great skill evolutionary speaking that we have developed how fantastic um i kind of developed that for touring i kind of uh got used to the weird hours and got used to the long drives and and having you know only 10 minutes to eat a meal at a pilot gas station because uh, you got to go and load in at the gig in an hour and it's like I miss that but now I'm home and I'm back to where I was from the age 14 to 18 which was like practicing music writing music and coming up with new ideas and just growing my thoughts with it like 12 14 hours a day just ferocious amounts of hours Elon Musk level hours and that is the way to live it um, what this all leads up to is some information that I got from a Bill Gates documentary that I recently just watched. He equates the mind to be like a computer. And we have all these ideas, expectations, goals, desires that we store in our consciousness, general consciousness. And, and not like in a uh, collective consciousness like a Carl Jung sense, but like um, just our, 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 like our desktop of memory, if you will. And he takes time to go and spend time with these ideas. He externalizes the ideas. He'll write them down so he's not just thinking about them, so they're not all clouded up there, but they're actually in a place where you can physically look at them all. And he'll take a trip that's known as a, I think it's called a Think Week, where he goes and spends time in his tiny house for about a week and thinks on these ideas. Takes the ideas from having written them down on paper and turns them into next actions. Things he can actually do, a behavior he can execute from the idea. How amazing is that? Now, I can't afford to go and think on things for a week. Uh, I don't know how many of us can, but that process is crucial. Having all these ideas, these goals, these desires, writing them down and then turning them into actions. Whoa. 
that's next level human behavior. Like that's extremely efficient. So as 2020 starts and we have all these goals, write them down and turn them into behaviors. Uh, that's something I've been spending time doing and it's, it's massively fruitful. And not like a GMO fruit sense where like apples should not be that big. I don't get why they're doing grape apples either. I don't, I, that just does not make sense. That's too much sweetness, too much tart. Bill talks about this concept as synthesizing ideas into his life experience. Very fascinating uh, phrasing on it, right? And it's like, so take an idea, something that's intangible, write it down, uh, and then create a next action behavior. Create a first step, a to-do from it. This turns intangible to tangible. That's magic. Bill's goals are uh, far greater and vast and, and uh, more abstract than mine. But this concept helps. In a world where we are bombarded with other people's realities and trophies, we innately react to that and we want to create our own trophies and our own realities and, and share it with the world. And so it's important to handle desires, handle goals in a way that is responsible and organized. That is that. My guest today is Mr. Joe Robinson, one of the first guys I discovered on YouTube, uh, me being part of that generation where all sources of inspiration and information come from that medium. I was obsessed with them when I was like 14 years old, 14, 15, right when I started getting serious about guitar, and an absolute hero. He really, truly is. He's a thoughtful person, positive person. Um, he wakes up at 4 a.m. when he's not touring and reads philosophy books. He doesn't consume sugar. He came from a very poor part of Australia. Developed a virtuosic talent through his gift and his drive that he naturally possesses and we talk about all this and we talk about how to work And make money as a musician independent musician how to do so as an artist and uh, how to learn That's the biggest thing too. Um, and uh, a lot of other things. Hope y'all enjoy it yeah, I, I just put out this this course which is a huge video course 12 steps. Yeah, Joe's 12. Joe's 12. Oh good about that a little bit but so we got 12 weeks yeah so the whole 12 dollars a week why 12 how'd 12 come about well it just felt like that was you know the right price point for some reason it's 12 week cost 12 dollars yeah that's amazing um didn't want to make it too expensive for folks um but during that program i interviewed like 20 of my mentors um oh, and it was a wonderful experience you use the term mentor yeah. yeah, it's a really educated term that a lot of people don't use. Uh -huh. You know, a lot of people say heroes and inspiration, but it seems like mentor is like, that's the next level Yeah, of having well, people that can uh, give you things advice-wise and perspective-wise that y you kind of always have with you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Who are some of those casts? We got Robin Ford, Steve Yeah, Vi. Robin, Steve Vai, Tommy Emmanuel. Damn. Rodney Crowell. Oh, wow. Gary Nicholson. Whoa. John Jorgensen. Whoa, whoa. Don Peake, who played guitar with Ray Charles and was the Wrecking Crew guitarist. Oh, wow, wow, wow. Um, Daniel Leverton, who wrote This Is Your Brain on Music. Oh, wow, so yes. A host of really interesting people. Did you read that book? Oh, yeah. You like that book? Uh-huh. Yeah. I Which read all his books. <laughs> oh, really? He has multiple books? Yeah. He oh, okay. He has, a, he has a book called The World in Six Songs, which I think is 
totally remarkable. Mm. It's kind of a sleeper. Not a lot of people talk about it, but for songwriters, I think it's really a great, insightful read. Uh, have you read the Jamie Webb book, yep. Songsmith? Mm-hmm. Uh, that has to be like the most remarkable songwriting book. Yeah, <laughs> It's amazing. However, I know several songwriters who I really respect who say that book is kind of... Um, <laughs> Uh, you, he has all these hard and fast rules, like yeah. you should never write a song without a tape recorder going. Mm. And you know he has opinions on rhyme and things. And some great songwriters I respect dismiss a lot of those ideas. Yeah. But to me, what's amazing about that book is just how much he cares about every line. Oh my gosh! It's like that's so a window into like the old school yeah, way of crafting totally. a song, a classic. Do you so still adapt those those concepts in your own endeavors, or are you trying to stay modern and? and take principles from, from this era? Or is it a mixture of both? Well, I, I try and have a, like a classic sounding melody, mm-hmm. and I, I am old school in that I've now, st- I've now started writing with exclusively hard rhymes. I remember we wrote a song once. Yeah. Uh, Compass, I think, was what uh-huh. it was or something, and we had just straight, no slant rhymes, no nothing. Yeah. That's a Rodney Crowell-ism. Um, mm-hmm. And you'll also notice it in Guy Clark. Towns Van Zandt, mm. um, Dylan, Tom Waits, oh. uh, Leonard Cohen. Mm. These guys very rarely have anything that's not a hard rhyme. Do you study these guys like you studied guitar players? Was it like, for me, when I was thinking about this the other day, I was on a run, it's like, oh, I need to just study artists and songs like I used to with guitar. Like, take a line, yeah. a melodic line, and just break it down. <laughs> Play-Doh it, make it go everywhere across the neck. But it's like, it's not that simple with songs. Do you kind of approach songwriting the same way, or, or is it a different mentality for you? I try to. I feel like, I, you know, when I fell in love with the, with the guitar, my mind was a sponge. You know, I was 10 years old, and it was just like, yeah. give me everything. And you were in a town of like 200 people. Yeah, <laughs> I, was, I was out in the bush. <laughs> um, but with songwriting, it, I fell in love with it when I was, um, you know, old enough to... Um, be more self-critical and just, I, I, I don't know, I just wasn't as much of a 10-year-old sponge. <laughs> yeah, man. Um, but I still try and listen to the greats. Um, you know, I have playlists on my phone of just songs that I love and writers that I love. And yeah. And, you know, you listen to these classic songs and each time you would discover something new, mm-hmm. some new twist of a meaning of a word. Mm-hmm. Um, and that doesn't happen with material that's, that hasn't really been meticulously crafted like a Guy Clark song, for example, mm. I think. Mm, right, totally. Yeah, like uh, when I paint my masterpiece, uh, the Dylan song uh-huh. is one I've been just kind of, I find with Dylan songs, it's like I'll listen to a song for like a week. Yeah. And uh, oh my gosh, it's like you listen to that song, it's like, well, maybe he's going this way with it. Maybe it's a negative thing. And it's like, no, it's it's, <laughs> it's definitely... A, a metaphor that has many more layers to dive into. and Yeah, well, you read about him and how he agonized over every line. Was he that kind of a writer? Yeah, apparently. But uh, having said that, apparently his methodology was if he got stuck on a line, yeah. he would just move on. Oh. And he wouldn't get hung up on it during the kind of moment of inspiration. Yeah. But he would go back and he would just spend hours trying to find the perfect line. Editing. Yeah. That's what Springsteen said is yeah. the big thing. Same with Springsteen, yeah. Whoa. I heard this term the other day. It's like, don't get in the way when your genius is consuming the moment, which basically is like anything that 
when you're doing something, you're like, oh man, this is really great. It's like whatever entity that is, you should try to give credit to it and identify it as a separate thing yeah. and let that thing work and not get in the way while it's happening. Right. Yeah, we were speaking about Daniel Levitin's books, This Is Your Brain on Music and The World in Six Songs. You know, he, he gave me a real interesting idea that the thing that makes us fall in love with a song What's is, that? is when it hits the sweet spot of being familiar enough that we can kind of, you know, get it. Of course. But being interesting enough that it's novel. Of course. And if it's too far into the, you know, esoteric, a lot of people will tune out. And if it's too far mm-hmm. into just the predictable, a lot of people will tune out. But when it hits the sweet spot, um, that's when it's magical. And I think that can be applied to, you know, to the chords of a song. <laughs> can be applied to the melody of a song it can be yeah. applied to the lyric it can be applied to the groove yeah everything you know if everything has to be interesting and have a personality mm-hmm. um but if it gets too you know out there it kind of loses the, the power and even if like you know you'll hear songs that have some unbelievably great lyric but the melody's not quite there i, I don't i don't know there's there's obviously a lot of ways you can skin the cat <laughs> <but> <laughs> But I think yeah. a lot. Of, I, I I think a lot about that kind of dichotomy of the unfamiliar and the the known. Mm. How long did it take for you to write undertones? What was the story behind that collection? Well, I wrote the songs in 2017, and basically, my management and I were the plan was every day I'm not on the road, I'm writing with somebody because I've found the most you're co-writing. Yeah, uh-huh. I found the most effective way for me to finish songs is to sit down with somebody else. Interesting. And Why is that, do you think? Well, I think, you know, if, if I'm just writing on my own, I'll just, you know, take weeks to write a song. And that's, is that, uh, is that a faux pas? Well, I, I think uh, it's definitely more efficient to collaborate mm-hmm. with me and f- for me at least. And, you know, I'm in Nashville. There's so many great people here to collaborate with. And I've learned a lot from writing with great writers like Alan Shamblin and Gary Nicholson and these, these, you know, Brent Mayer and these great, amazing people who've been doing it, you know, two or three times as long as I've been alive in some it's cases. It's a humbling thing. So, um, maybe not three times. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I, I, every day I wasn't on the road, I was writing and I wrote about 80 songs within that year. Wow. And, um... Were all those good or some of those throwaways? Oh, so, so some of them were were kind of, you know, throwaways for sure. But I, I, I'm getting better and, the, and I'm getting to the point where there's less throwaways. And the throwaways are usually when I'm riding with somebody and you just don't connect. That's a real thing. And you either try and just escape. <laughs> yeah. Just fin- finish it to, to get out of there. The trite right you know, is what I call it. Yeah. Where it's like you just go for everything that'll get you to the bottom of that page. Yeah. And for me, the worst writing experiences have all been like three, three-way writes. Those are the best. Uh, the, oh, those are the worst for me. <laughs> really? Oh, yeah, be, be, oh, Lord. Because it's like, it's just less intimate and, you know, it's just easier for it to fall into this generic thing. Mm-hmm. That's been my experience at least. But, um, yeah, out of those 80 songs, we picked the 12 songs that I recorded. Wow. And um, it was a great, you know, experience. It, that was the plan. We executed the plan. I'm really proud of the album. I produced it myself, mixed it myself. Yeah. And did you do um, it at your place? I, I, yeah, I did the tracking at the castle, which is out in Franklin, which is just up the street from mm-hmm. where I live. And then, you know, I have a little studio set up 
at home that gradually expanded as I just decided to kind of do it all myself. So I did all the overdubs at home. Yeah. And then I mixed it. And uh, Was that a new uh, palette for you? Is that a new thing to learn? Well, I'd been obsessed with it for like three years. <laughs> I made three EPs before this album. And I kind of got into the like self-producing thing. And I'd watched Mitz with the Masters videos. Mitz with the Masters is a website where you can watch interviews with Chad Blake and Michael Brower and Shakir King and all these, you know, great mix engineers. You know, take 90 minutes to deconstruct how they mixed a song. And, yeah. uh, and what plugins they used. Oh, wow. How they set up their Pro Tool session with auxiliary sends and what they put in their mix bus, mm -hmm. all these kind of things into, you know, a lot of detail. And um, I just got obsessed with it. <laughs> well, when you get obsessed with something, do you do you kind of put everything else in the back burner? Or like, because I, I know you said you were big into doing a schedule. Um, uh, when you get obsessed with something, is it is it a different part of your mind that you're accessing? Or is it like, this is all I'm going to think about and like all these other desires and projects I kind of put on the back burner? Well, it's that's a good question. It's not. It doesn't feel like a conscious choice to be oh. obsessed with something. It feels like a subconscious, you know, be subconsciously being drawn to something. And you know, if that's what I'm into right now, I'll just be thinking about it all the time. <laughs> nice. And, yeah. Uh, and 100%. A, a schedule for me helps helps me just um, just function better. I'm, I'm just a routine kind of person. And mm -hmm. some some people feel like. Um, you know, they, they don't like a routine. They would feel, what's the word? Um, uh, they get claustrophobic if, mm. if things are too planned out for them and they're more spontaneous. Um, but I like a plan. I like a schedule. Um, however, like, you know, I, I read a lot of books. And right now, you know, <laughs> I'll, I'll read a book by, by Nietzsche. And oh. I'll just be thinking about, or Dostoevsky. And I'll just be thinking about the ideas in this book nonstop. And it's yeah, not my choice to do so, but um, oh wow, I I don't have an obsessive personality in that I've never been into like drugs or alcohol. Yeah, I don't even eat sugar. <laughs> um, but you know, I I get really passionate. Like when when I find out like Mitz with the Masters, or there's another one, Pure Mix, which is really cool. Oh, Pure Mix. Um, yes. When you find out this information's available, mm -hmm. and you and you can learn from the best guys. It's so empowering. And for me, it's like practical because I'm in the studio all the time, you know, doing sessions for people or recording my own stuff. And for me to learn about this um, on that level is just really practical. Absolutely it is. Yeah. Do you find that with music, all things included, let's say writing, singing, uh, r r tracking, mixing, uh -huh. uh, even mastering or or in consuming inspiration, do you find that the thing that came easiest to you was guitar? That's a good question. Because um, we talk about that sponge thing. It's like yeah. some people don't – the shelf life of the sponge mentality varies from being to being. Like it totally changes. Some people don't ever really yeah. have that phase. And you, you, c you encounter some artists where it's like they're constantly revising who they are. And like each album or each phase of work is, is different. Kind of like Dave Chappelle uh -huh. where it's like each phase of him is like incredibly different. At least in in terms of like the the pace that he takes in his routine, or or just how like politically incorrect he's gonna go, mm -hmm. you know, things like that. H how do you find that applies to you? Well, it's funny because when I look at you, I relate to you because to me, uh. you are 
the same kid that just saw music and saw the guitar. Yeah. And saw a path to expression. Totally, dude. And it was just like one track mind. Totally. Figure that out. Yeah. Um, you know, yes. I, I think not a lot of people have that with, you know, a million different things. Yeah. Um, when guitar was, was my first obsession and my first love and, um, people say, oh, you're so talented and so gifted. And, and I, and I think, well, I think the real gift is just falling in love with it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> totally. It, it is. Because you can't, you can't give that to somebody. It, it just has to happen. Yes. It's the um, drive. So for, for me in that sense, you know, I look back at my childhood and I had, I had a happy childhood for the most part. We were kind of poor growing up in the bush in Australia. Not a lot. What to is do. the bush? It's like that basically the forest is like, yeah, it's like, um, you know, uh, to me, the bush is like living in a little house where you didn't have a municipal water supply. What? Like we, we got hot water in 2001 I mean, when, when I was 10, we got what? like this hot water tank installed and it was like, how'd you, so you just <laughs> showered really cold cool. for 10 years? Yeah. Well, we had a bath and we'd boil a pot <laughs> and just pour it in the bath. Ooh, man. Um, but it was mostly like, and we also had this kind of, um, pretty, Pretty um, ho- hobo version of a shower where you'd have a bucket <laughs> with a little shower nozzle on the bottom, <laughs> and you twist it to turn it on, and we'd f- we'd fill it up and hang it over like a, a pole, and you get outside and you. Oh my you'd god! Lather up and. Were you? Uh, that's the bush. Did you dislike <laughs> that at the time? Was that tough? Um, I disliked it in school when I realized that you know a lot oh. of my friends had these kind of comfortable lives, but I grew to just find that. It made me really tough. Yeah, totally. And uh, I grew to embrace that. And it kind of gave me this um, strange kind of superiority complex. <laughs> Ooh, um, how so? Well, you know, I, I like... Superiority. Well, I, you know, I, uh, I... I've just felt like a lot of my friends at school yeah. were... Well, like lazy. Yeah, totally. And I and I was like getting up at four a.m. Same here. To like practice. Yeah, exactly. I feel like you still do that, huh? Yeah. Well, in March, I got up at four a.m. every day. In March. Which, yeah, yeah. Because I wasn't on the road. Oh. Um. Because when I'm on tour, it's you just can't get up that early because you're playing shows. Yeah. So, um, but in terms of falling in love with songwriting and singing and playing and everything, it's it's all just been kind of, um. A desire to explore that, and and it's ca- comes from a practical place. Like if I'm on stage playing a show, I was playing, you know, 90 minute shows where I was just playing instrumental guitar. Whoa, man! And I was like, that's well, hard. Yeah, I, n- I need to sing. I want to sing. What age was that? I was. That was when I was like 17, 18. So you you had gotten to Australia's Got Talent. You were 16. Mm-hmm. So you had already kind of gotten this 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 real actual esteem from society where it was like you actually won something you defeated and you <laughs> conquered and like you you resisted you trained and you you aspired and you got it and um the whole nation was like that's amazing and then you then you go and kind of start over in some sense because singing yeah is in a sense starting over it's oh yeah and I, I was terrible when i first started I mean, it was like, I would sing like, um, Don't Think Twice, It's All Right in my set. Oh, that's a great one. That, that would be like the yeah. first song I'd snuck in. Me too, yeah. Um, and uh, and uh, talk, talking about Dylan. And I remember at, at first it was just like, it was really cringeworthy. And, uh, and I took voice lessons for a while 
which I really um, felt just made me more self-conscious. Yeah, as they <laughs> and, can. And kind of just messed up the mindset. Um, but it really was like starting over. And, um, you know, I, I, I just like that feeling of, of being what they call it the area of proximal development <laughs> where you're just enough out of your comfort zone to be growing um, because it's just boring just being in, in the one lane. It is. Sometimes I look at like James Taylor and I think, man, this guy, he wrote these incredible songs within like three years mm. and then he just spent his whole career just playing playing yeah. them. And yeah. like he's had, you know, great moments along the way, but he's kind of really stayed in that lane. Yeah. And uh, and I just don't think I'm going to be that kind of kind of guy somehow. Mm. Maybe... Maybe a woman in a way, but mm -hmm. yeah. Um, Do you think uh, playing guitar and getting really great at the instrument, in the sense of like the soul engine, probably at first for a lot of your fan base was the guitar because that's what you did was instrumental guitar. Yeah. Do you feel like that's kind of a specialization in a sense? Like, does that omit you from pursuing other endeavors of singing and songwriting because you're so good at this thing? Like, yeah. Why would you start over? Did you ever feel that internally? Yeah, I, I do feel that, and I feel like you know. You have to be honest with yourself. Um, like that's that's where I'm. Um, I have you know my lane and my unique thing that I do. But oh wow! If I can kind of uh, furnish that with being a songwriter, yeah, and being a singer and a producer, yeah, and I mean to me, all these things kind of play into they totally do into that one thing. So it's. It's just, I, I mean, I, I really admire the way you kind of have created this brand for yourself and this, mm, thank you. and this, uh, you know, eclectic mix of influences and styles. Mm, thank you. I, th I think it's just, that's, that's what's interesting. Yeah. Ab about, yes. about music is, is you can just do so much with it. And, um, you know, sometimes I, th I think I'll turn up and I'll, I play a lot of these acoustic like folk clubs and things. Still, you'll you'll go out and do like a Joe Robinson tour. Is that primarily still acoustic? Well, the thing is, I play acoustic and electric in every show now. Yeah. But I'll turn up to these folk clubs and play electric guitar, and people will like. People will write me emails complaining. What? Um. In fact, the guy wrote me an email the other day, and I'm like, oh man. <laughs> like that happened <laughs> at Newport with Dylan, but like that was forever ago. It's like. Well, you know what? I was with some bluegrass guys the other day, and they're like, "Can you believe Molly Tuttle went electric?" And I'm like, that's really cool. Molly Tuttle, <laughs> for everyone who doesn't know, is primarily bluegrass, right? She does the uh, slap, the slap style on the right hand, yeah. the claw, claw hammer, and she got Americana Instrumentalist of the Year. She, I was nominated for that, and she beat me, and I was angry for two minutes, and then <laughs> I realized she's super talented. Yeah, she's great. She went electric. Yeah, well, yeah. Well, I mean, that was what the, this guy said to me. I just, I, I've heard a variety of things she's done, and I like it all. I think she's great. Mm -hmm. Um. But it's just funny that people want to box you into this one Dude, thing. Dude, specialization. People want to say you're something and then so they can kind of classify you, so yeah. they can try to understand who you are. And they're like, at that point, they're going to say, well, here's the ways he's better than me and here's the ways he's not better than me. Yeah. And it kind of just allows them to go on with their life. The fascinating thing is how people resist you trying to better yourself within music because Oddly enough, within music, the way to better yourself a lot of the time is to find new things that you're not that great at and start over and mm -hmm. get better, like producing, like mixing. You know what I mean? Like yeah. These are all things that you didn't realize when you were 10, 12 years old, when you were trying to be a genius, that these are other things that you're going to pick up along the way. But it's like the fact that you're such an intelligent person 
it would only make sense that once you attain some form of mastery at something that you want to get better at something else. Yeah. And a lot of people that just goes in one ear and right out the other. Like they just don't get why you would want to same for me. It's like some people are like, why are you, why are you singing? It's like, well, like I can't get up there and like just play guitar. Like even, even Tommy sings like everyone, uh-huh. everyone sings Tommy manual. So it's like ev- everyone does something that's not, just guitar like you gotta you can't just be one really sharp knife it doesn't work like that yeah i mean there's a lot of people with a lot of opinions mm, that's and the true thing. you know i think having self-awareness is a really good thing mm-hmm. and to me like it's also it's also important to have awareness that you know i read this phrase I, it was mm. one of the greek philosophers i can't find the phrase anywhere but it's never trust a philosopher who isn't an athlete oh yeah and when you meet that's someone great. out on the road who's like um, you know, not in the music world. Yeah. They don't really understand the music yeah. business and they say, man, you should do this. Yeah. And they say it with <laughs> this conviction like they know, but really they mm. they, they don't. Mm, yeah. And um, I mean, it's take everything with a grain of salt, I guess. But You got to. I think it's really, for me, it's been so great finding people that I admire and respect a lot and mm. who's l- who's musical career and trajectory and what they've accomplished i just marvel at and and kind of just asking them <laughs> totally get, man. getting a feel for them because they're they're the people that um are gonna probably have advice you can take to the bank to a point <sighs> right a lot of the stuff you take to the bank you're gonna have to go and search for is that what people are going to get if they get joe's 12 joe's 12 yes um well, so I think Joe's Twelve is definitely a window into um, the relationship I have with my mentors and how they have helped me. And you know, um, I've been living in Nashville for uh, almost ten years now. Dude, you said something not to cut you off that was so smart on it on a YouTube video. I don't remember which one, but you said I've been I've been living and working in uh, Nashville did I? <laughs> for nine years or seven years. Now it's ten years, right? Time yeah. moves on. And the fact that he made that differentiation, those are those, that's so crucial. That's um, a very interesting perception. Yes, indeed. My f- like Joe's twelve. It's like what an industrious entrepreneurial sense that you have, right? Because I'm assuming you own the most of this, uh-huh. and it, it's all your own network. Like you've worked with True Fire and other other services, but this is all you, huh? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I did a couple of courses with True Fire, and and I'm, I'm doing some more stuff with them here pretty soon. And I love their platform, you know, five camera angles on the guitar. Mm-hmm. If you want to learn, um, like it, if you want to learn the way Robin Ford thinks about diminished licks and the way Tommy does, uh, recommends learning a thumb pick, his Milestones course. I mean, those are amazing products. And um, and I, I'm proud of my True Fire courses too. But Joe's 12 was more inspired by Masterclass dot com love masterclass um as well as mitts with the masters mm-hmm. more long form interview mm-hmm. type um content than like tutorials because there's so much like tutorial content out there but to me the missing element is mm. like um yeah the, the the mentorship aspect and i i've been living and working in nashville <laughs> for you know this this long and i and i've been really fortunate to become friends with some of the most incredible people. Yeah. And, you know, I come from this small bush area. Yeah. <laughs> and I know that there's so many people out 
in similar areas who just want to know how it works and want access to the information. So Joe's 12 was a way for me to bring that, you know, I get messages from people in India and South America and, you know, Mm -hmm. Scandinavia in in these rural parts of, you know, these different continents. And they say, I love Joe's 12. I loved it when, when uh, Gary Nicholson said this, and I love it when Rodney Krause said that, and I wow. love it when Steve Vai said that, and that was the you know mic drop moment, and you know it's just wow. so it's so cool to um to uh yeah have have had the tools and the technology uh, available that I could create this. It took about a year and a half. Oh my gosh! And um, was that intended, or did you just kind of do, did you guys have a plan? Yeah, well, we knew it would take a, a while because everyone's scared. It's so hard to yeah. meet up with people. You know this, interviewing people for a podcast. You know, just scheduling is quite quite tricky. Um, you got right back to me though. <laughs> I feel like you responded before I even sent the message. It's like oh, your good. Well, the amount of indu- industriousness. I'm happy to do it. I'm I'm thinking of creating a podcast. So this yeah. this is cool. I'm gonna ask you to return the favor. Ooh. Um. But uh. You know, Joe's 12 covers everything from practicing to songwriting to arranging to touring to wow. collaborating to your why. Whoa. You know, it's just all these different topics. And in each week, you'll hear me talk about, you know, how I think about arranging a song mm. like a jazz standard. And then you'll hear Tommy talk about it and John Jorgensen talk mm. about it. And, oh, I see. you know, Don Peake, who played um, in guitar and I Want You Back. <laughs> and Whoa. Let's get it on. And, and then you'll hear. Daniel Leverton speak about, you know, um, the neuroscience of arranging and songwriting. Like it's it's just Whoa, a really wow. interesting um, course, and it's edited together like a Netflix series. Um, in that each week, you get access to about an hour and a half kind of vid- video that's edited together mm-hmm. to be a, a really entertaining and informative watch. And then there's some tutorial content as well, and of and a and a huge list of resources people can check out. So wow, man! Basically, um, it's like I, f- I feel like that was the be- that was the gift I would love to give myself when I was oh. twelve. You know, Chris Stapleton <laughs> says he just tries to make records that he wanted to hear. Yeah, that he's not hearing. It's like what a simple purpose. Yeah, right? it's wonderful. Your why mindset these are things from when i was 16 years old there was a book called effortless mastery kenny warner have you read that one i haven't no oh my gosh that's a critical mindset book for the musician because it's directly tied with the ego it's basically just a, a great meditation a five camera angle on the ego in every way that it affects you from before you even pick up your instrument like it gets to be so woo woo where it's like he talks about a practice routine uh-huh. Where the <laughs> the only practice routine is is to go and sit down at your instrument, put your hands on it, play one chord, <laughs> and then not play anything else for the entire day. So you play the chord one time, and as it rings out and it dies out, you just you don't judge it and you just say it's an amazing chord. So it's this kind of you're just really giving a lot of validity to uh, the mentality and the philosophy behind the mind that creates the music. Because it's more than just like, how do you get fast? What strings do you use? How do you practice? It's like, it really is all created in here. It really comes so from there. So wh- who turned you on to that book? A session player, James Mitchell, who mm-hmm. plays with Alison Krauss now. Um, a mentor. He was. I had a couple mentors. Um, as I've gotten older, though, I haven't. Uh, do you still actively seek out these people? I do. Yeah. And, you know, there came a there came a kind of realization where I was like, you know what? Every great thing that's happened to me Mentors. in my musical journey has be, been because of a mentor. Whoa, okay. So, um, 
you know, I I was out in the road with Robin Ford playing in this band Guitar Army with Robin and Leroy Parnell. And, Whoa, um, that sounds loud. And uh, it was it was the, it was loud, powerful. I mean, it was it was hard to establish my your dominance, s- my sonic identity in that yeah. in that group. Um, but it was a wonderful experience. And Robin said to me, he said, you know, Joe. I know you're out doing your own thing and you're doing great for yourself. And um, <laughs> But he said, you know, when I was like in my 20s, uh, I was so set on doing this solo career. And then this opportunity came up to play with Joni Mitchell. And he's like, I just want you to know, Joe, that was the like one of the greatest creative experiences in my life. Wow. And he said, so I would just say to you, just be open to collaborating and playing with somebody else um, if it's a really special thing. Mm. And like a couple of weeks later, Rodney Crowell called me ah. and he's like, oh yeah, do you want to come out and do some acoustic shows with yeah, me? And, and I was like, cha-ching, yeah. you know what? Um, this is the guy who you just sit in a room with him and you learn. Yes. <laughs> so. Even um, his touch, he has the. S- and, uh, yeah. and yeah, I mean, he's just a master, master writer, mm-hmm. master performer and just like. Oh, how so? Well, he gets on that stage, and like you and I rely on a lot of chops. We do, <laughs> yes. And a lot of pyrotechnic guitar stuff. Yeah. And I, I always admired guys like like Johnny Cash or, and Rodney Crowell and these guys who just get up there. Yeah. And they play these simple chords that feel great. Yeah. And they just warm the heart of every person in the room. I love that. And he, looks, he looks out at people, and they just are drawn to him. He's really a magnetic performer. And uh, yeah, I, I just it's it's a wonderful thing to experience each night on stage when we get to perform together. So I do actively seek out mentors still, mm. and it just continues to give me more and more inspiration and uh, perspective. Whoa, totally! You got to be changing that. Yeah, yeah. Do you feel like with where with where you're at with Joe's Twelve with Undertones, and you're still touring with Rodney, right? Yeah. Um. Do you have any tours coming up? Yeah, well, I'm, I'm touring with Rodney. Um, he's doing a Texas tour at the moment, and I'm not on those shows because I, I I'm just sw- swamped with solo dates. So um, how so how I where are you playing? I just got off the road from three weeks in California, Whoa. Arizona, um, Colorado. Solo gigs. Solo gigs, all yeah. solo stuff. Um, I had I just had a run of seven shows in seven days in in you know cities like. I had a run from Santa Barbara, then Phoenix, then Columbus, Ohio, Whoa. and then I was back in Nashville. How are you getting around? Are you flying? Are you renting cars? Yeah, flying and renting cars. So you're by yourself this whole time? Uh-huh. What's that experience like? I love it. Yeah. You seem like a really like um, uh, good at overall homeostasis of the mind. and. Yeah, I like being alone. And way up. Um, right. You know, and uh, this this next run I'm doing... I'm going for to Norway for one show with Emily Lou Harris playing guitar in her band, which is gonna be really fun. Then I come back and my girlfriend flies in. She's she's Quebecois. She's from Canada, and um, she'll be with me for three weeks. And then, wow. And then my mom flies in, and sh- and my mom's with me for three weeks. Whoa, so, you got it you know, going on. Yeah, I'm I'm spending time with with loved ones, but uh, but I do like being alone a lot. And uh, you know, what do you think that is? Um. I find with lost songwriters, the more I've gotten into the songwriting community, it's I I really am like aside from you, kind of the black sheep of like. When you grow up being a guitar player, you like don't 
you don't really like fuck around after school. Like you go home and like right. you practice and like before school you wake up and practice and like you're kind of just blanketed by this drive. It's like I find a lot of people who honed the craft of songwriting, the social experience that they had growing up was way different. Yeah. Like I, I really haven't met anybody who missed prom because they were playing a gig. <laughs> you know what I mean? But it's like so, so maybe that explains that drive in you to be by yourself. Yeah, I think that has something to do with it. You know, I mean, if you want to get good at an instrument, you got to spend a lot of time just woodshedding alone. I mean, there's, you can't get, a, like, get around that really. But I think I'm naturally just a kind of stoic person uh-huh. in that, um, you know, I value tranquility. Yeah. And if it gets too crazy, I'm just, I'm happy to tune out <laughs> and and go and read and Whoa, think. Yeah. You know, I get re-energized by that. Do so you? When I sit down to read right now, like, I'm at this place where it's like, man, it'll be like, I'll wake up at like maybe say 5.30 or 6. Mm-hmm. And I'll, I'll get up and I'll hit the gym. Um, and I'll get home to read, and it's like, man, you could be doing something <laughs> that's more active. You could be doing, you know, you could be practicing, you could be doing social media thing, or you could something that's not this. It feels so analog. It feels, I don't know how to explain it. Do you do you have that same thing, or does, uh, that, s- does it get you rolling? Sometimes. I go through phases. Right now I'm in a phase where I'm reading quite a bit, you know, probably a couple hours a day it averages oh, out to be. A couple hours. Um, a I usually time. just wake up, and then I try not to have coffee first thing in the morning. I'm trying to just, like, give my body 30 minutes to wake up um but i'll read first thing in the morning whoa and um and at night and you know during lunch and kind of like and as soon as they get in the car i plug in my phone and an audiobook starts and i'm just right chugging away at economic world history since the year 1400 what's good about that (laughs) about that particular book Mm -hmm. uh it's just very interesting um i'm really interested in in history and uh uh, how it influences us from an evolutionary perspective. Have you read Sapiens? Uh-huh. Sapiens yeah. is a great. It is absolutely a great book. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I read all three of Yuval Harari's books. Yes, man. And I loved each and every one of them. Yes. And I also recently read all of, uh, well, not all, but like three or four of Jared Diamond's books, who was kind of like the, um, you know, 1990s version of Yuval Harari. He wrote oh, Guns, wow. Germs, and Steel. Okay. Which is a great book. And The Third Chimpanzee. He has a new book out called Upheaval at the moment, and it's Whoa, really dude. good as well. But um, yeah, have you read Be Here Now? Uh, no, I haven't. Oh, Be Here Now is crazy. I'm I'm gonna make make a list of of um the earlier book you mentioned in Be Here Now. Effortless Mastery. That's Kenny Warner. That is an absolute must All for right. anyone. I think I've mentioned on every podcast and <laughs> every lesson I do. I think I I might have even said it uh to myself. I was brushing my teeth today. So you got to read Effortless Mastery. All right, it, I'm writing it in my phone. Another one that turned me on this year, for me, like, does it all kind of come back to guitar for you? Does it all kind of boil back to that creative center of, of who you are and the flow that you have with reading? I, I find, like, anything I consume, even if it's, like, Jordan Peterson, mm-hmm. like, it comes back to it comes back to the thing that I do, which is create music. Do you find that same parallel energy? Yeah, I mean, to me, it's like... Uh I love Jordan Peterson too, and and t- to me, like when I'm on stage playing, I'm not thinking about the instrument. <laughs> oh, what are you doing? Uh, what are I, you? Thinking? I'm just trying to channel the music that's deep within. <laughs> yeah, man. So it's kind of like a circle. You know, it's a me- meditative thing. Um, it's not like you meditate at all. Playing the guitar, I do meditate. I I'm not in like a meditation 
cycle at the moment. Mm-hmm. But I'd really believe in like the cumulative benefits of like having spent time meditating. Cumulative benefits. That's um, totally it. And I think I heard Arnold Schwarzenegger talk about that one time. He was like, yeah, I meditated for 30 minutes a day for a couple years. And, and oh. I feel like I still get benefits from it. Oh, wow. And he I, said that to you? I've, well, I, no, I've never met Arnold. Okay. That would have been crazy cool. He, he said, hey, it would be crazy cool. Maybe one day. He uh, said that in an interview with somebody, and um, and I was like, yeah, that's exactly it, because, you know, I used to do passage meditation where I just memorize passages um, from the Tao Te Ching and different texts. And yeah, I have that up there. Nice. Um, and, yeah, it's, it's just a really interesting experience. So, so I, I guess I don't really necessarily relate it back to, like, the physical thing of playing the guitar, but, you know, music is... You know, Jordan Peterson speaks about order and chaos, and mu- music is a beautiful synthesis oh of gosh. that. Especially in a live setting. Yeah. It's unbelievable, down to the logistics of what needs to happen to make a note Yeah, come out of and that PA. You know, it never ceases to amaze me to be on stage and look at it, you know, a room full of people, yeah. all staring at you, yeah. like mesmerized, <laughs> having a quasi-religious experience um, mm-hmm. at a concert. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the... Mm-hmm. It, for me, it ha- it, there's there's magical times where I know that's happening. Yeah. For, for me, but when I'm with Rodney, it's <sighs> like it happens every minute of the sh- of the show, <laughs> or with to- Tommy Emmanuel. You know, I was at Tommy's guitar camp a couple of weeks ago in in Colorado, and seeing him just <laughs> absolutely mesmerize a room. That dude's a pro. I'm, I'm just thinking of how all the synapses he's hitting in all those people, and just you know, people are drawn to the magnetic quality of his mastery and the beautiful uh you know sounds and melodies and grooves it's like this ancient thing that he's channeling totally it is and um you know i think it's passion i think it really boils down to the dude is so you hear passion in every everything he does yeah when he's tuning totally oh he's 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 got a remarkable natural energy like Mm. just unbelievable and his brother had it too. Um, his brother Phil, who I was close with as well. You know, those guys. Those are the two guys that changed my life, and really yeah. made me believe that I could, you know, be a great guitar player. Before you even met them, huh? Um, well, when I met them, Phil was like, he said, "Joe, you're playing Eric Johnson, Cliffs of Dover, and you're 11, and most kids your age are, li- are listening to some <laughs> Limp Biscuit crap." <laughs> <laughs> Limp Biscuit. And Cliffs of Dover was. The best song when you were 11, 12. Yeah. It really was. And uh, and that just made me believe in myself. And he said, mate, he said, Joe, mm. you're, you're maybe the best guitarist I've seen for your age. And I mean, he might have just thought that was, I mean, there's a lot of great young guitarists. But um, yeah, he, but he, dude, come he on. just really encouraged me and made me believe in myself. And um, yeah, when I see Tommy and, and, and he and all these great people um, channeling that energy, that sapiens, Mm-hmm. That's um, you know maps of meaning. <laughs> totally. That's uh, it is. You know the inner game of tennis. <laughs> yes. That's zen, zen art of archery. Zen and art of m- motorcycle maintenance. Yeah, right. I didn't um, like that one as much, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you and me both. Um, it's uh, it's all these great ideas <laughs> through the channel of of music. That's that's what I what I think. Whoa, I man. I don't know. Yeah. It's Whoa. all it's all really interesting. My gosh, and it's also like. The one thing that needs to be mentioned, too, for, for anyone who's listening is, like, upon doing research for this, which I, I try not to do a lot of, um, I try to just kind of scan and see what inspires me, but it's, like, where I'm at right now is I feel like I've achieved 
a certain thing when I was younger that I literally dreamed of achieving. Mm -hmm. And when I was younger, I felt, because I'm still very young, I felt the, the, the amount of desires that I had were far less, right? Because I knew of less. I knew of less things to be possible. I wanted to be X level at being playing guitar and having developed my own style. I feel like I've achieved that in some sense. And so where I'm at now is like I'm trying to kind of like 2.0 that. Try to do like that thing where it's like the most simple metaphor, and I'm not comparing myself in any way, but the most simple metaphor would be from after the iPod came the i the iTouch, <laughs> right? It was a thing where it's like you created something for society that society didn't know that it wanted, uh-huh. and then it's valuable, and then just like an artist does, and then as the artist that you are, you kind of have to grow past that and 2.0 it. Have you felt like because your thing that you initially came out into the world with, at least how I discovered you, and when I discovered you, I was wildly obsessed with your mastery and just the tone of your hands on just the acoustic guitar. It was an undeniable thing Thanks, of, of hard work and and honest self-editing and being just naturally good at something, which you are. Like you're, you're probably just naturally good at guitar in some way. Probably liked getting good at it, those kinds of things. Um, have you felt like with undertones, with toe jam, time jumping, uh, all the other albums you put out, even like the full electric albums that are like real Hendrix based in, in terms of like these wild metaphors lyrically and, oh. and jams. Have you, do you feel like you've stepped up in, in pedigree as an artist? Have you felt like you've 2.0'd yourself? You know, I feel like, uh, I've just been improving in this steady plane yeah and it hasn't been these wild jumps of like right because you had that with guitar yeah well you know i just rem- i remember being being younger and just always being like you know i'm working on trying to learn some jazz chords <laughs> yeah when i had couldn't play any jazz chords i'd see someone playing and i'm like man how do you get those those tools down what's that e major nine <laughs> that's cool <laughs> exactly I, w- I want to play like up the neck like that. <laughs> yes. Um, and yeah. then, you know, you figure that out and then you'd learn, you know, some like hybrid picking thing. I'd learn like Albert Lee Country Boy or something. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and then I'd learn some Django Reinhardt thing and then I'd learn some Chet Atkins thing. And it was just always just this continual evolution of just steady growth. And oh. I feel like I've just always been on that journey. Oh, wow. And uh, every album's just been, you know, me growing in some area. Um, oh. I have a hard time kind of just imagining what I look like from the outside. <laughs> um, I think I have a good self-awareness in a sense that I know what works for me and who I am. Oh, how so? But, well, you know, I just know how I, how I operate. Mm. You know, uh, we can talk about the big five personality traits. Or Ocean. You, you I know, love that. <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I've, uh, yeah. I've thought a lot about just who I am and I, and I feel I feel like I'm cool with that cool, but how it. people perceive your music and you know mm-hmm. like you said giving people a product that they don't know they want I think uh, I like the Chris Stapleton um, yeah. statement you said before of just creating the music you want to hear yeah um, I, I, I relate to that a lot and uh, yeah I, I was I was saying uh, earlier I remember when when I first met you, Daniel, and you yes. were like this little kid, <laughs> and then I met, and then I met you when you were a, t- a teenager. Yeah, and you must have grown a foot, and I was like, hopefully, I'm t- I'm 28 now, so you you, you would have been coming to see me when probably 10 years ago. Whoa, Whoa. man, probably. I was, I was probably around that time. I don't even think you're living in Nashville. Yeah, I was I was coming over and, and just playing out 
I get third in Lindsley and different places Dude, occasionally. Insane, man. Um, but uh, yeah, m- much respect for Likewise. for for your journey, and yeah, I, I admire the way you play, and yeah, you have a, f- a flair and finesse. Thank for you. the instruments that that's as cr- as great as anybody. And Man, likewise, as thing. you know. Yeah. Um. But I want to ask you what what are your sh- what are your short term goals? What are you working on at the moment? Short term in uh, regards to what time frame? Well, the next two years. Oh wow! So all I had figured out for the rest of this year was I was going to release an EP and I was going to start working on another collection of songs, like consistently for six weeks. We're just going to record found a producer lined up and just record all these songs. I've been heavily co-writing this whole year um, and also writing by myself. Um, So I got like close to 40 songs. I just looked through them the other day. Um, I want to do that. And I really want to play festivals next year. Uh I started identifying like really what I do is like, because I feel like a lot of guitar players, or I don't want to speak for a lot of other people, at least me, I want to offer a lot of value I won't be able to offer as much value, I don't think, in terms of just my songs and my singing. But I want to be able to kind of just get up on the stage and do that and not have to do the pyro. But it seems like the happy medium with where that is and like where reality is, is like in this scene of like this jam band thing Mm -hmm. that's happening, like Billy Strings and Marcus King and Sturgill Simpson. It's like, um, it's like Dell Fest. you know what I mean? Like Winterland Festival, things like that. I really want to get on the festival circuit next year. That's my biggest thing. Good for you, brother. Just establishing artistry more and more. The the DD experience. Ooh, <laughs> that's cool. Yeah, it's it's it's, an, like it's an energy when you play, and um, yeah, I mean, you, you can't deny it. Thanks. You can't can't deny that that magic. So you put out you this album. <laughs> you gonna take time off from from tracking and writing, or are you just? What are your two years? Um, yeah, not not really planning on taking any time off. Yeah, um, that's the way to be. I'm. Uh, do you think in two two year plans? Do you think in? Do you schedule out years? Uh, in well, rough drafts. Well, I I I guess I do. I'm thinking just uh, where, where do I want to be here? Where do I want to be here? Where do I want to be here? Yeah. Um, but it never goes to plan. I mean, I always underestimate the time things take. Oh, it's so true. It's just like. I'm I'm really bad at that, but you always want things to be faster than they do. Yeah, you always just ima- you have this vision. You're like, oh, I can do that. <laughs> yeah. And then you, when you get into it, you're like, oh, wow, well, it takes a, lot a year of work. and a half. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but basically, I'm I'm on the road for the rest of this year. I have about a hundred tour dates on the books left. <laughs> Whoa. So I'm, I'm that's just, insane. I'm just slammed, um, which is wonderful. Uh, so I'm on tour in the Northeast and Midwest in the next few weeks. You're a businessman. That's yeah. great. And then I'm. Um, Coming back, I'm doing some dates with Tommy um, coming up. I'm doing a thing at the Eric Clapton Crossroads Festival in Dallas. Insane. Remember, we were on that together in 2013. We, we played in the Hard Rock Cafe yep. in Times Square. Yeah, man. I remember that. You had that Strat. Yeah. You went up and slayed it. You played <laughs> with sticks. It was yeah, crazy. That was, cool. that was a cool moment. That um, was fun. I'm, I'm doing that, and then I'm going to Europe, and I'm actually... I have a, a booking agent over in Europe, and he mm. organized some shows. and I And I said to him, I said, "Hey, you know, Pete, I, I know a lot of people over there just from the past. Do you mind if I just fill in some shows, you know, with people that I know?" And he's like, "Oh, sure." Wow. So I had now I now have seventeen shows in a row, no breaks. Um, m- you know, a lot of country hopping. <laughs> 
So I'm I'm really I'm that's gonna be a fun adventure. Whoa, my God. Um, and then after that, um, I come straight. I have a show in like Gothenburg, Sweden, on like November third, and then I'm in Saratoga, California, with Rodney on November sixth. Oh, incredible! And then we're on the road for three weeks with Rodney, and then um. Yeah, I mean, it, well, the adventure man. continues. Well, so really I, not. I'm, I'm on the road a lot, which which I'm really liking the routine of. You know, I, I just get better when I'm playing every night. You do, yeah. Um, Mentally too, probably, huh? Yeah. Well, uh, yeah. I just don't need to think about my show as much. I I oh. just know know my show's good, and I can just worry about getting enough rest and being able to pull it off every night do you still practice and try to consume new things to learn when you're on the road or you kind of just let yourself go in that presentation mode of everything you've worked on yeah honestly i i want to practice more <laughs> the other day i bought a joe pass book <laughs> you bought a book yeah joe pass and i'm looking and i'm and i'm like oh yeah I, I mean it would serve me well to sit down for an hour a day and and work on this yeah um, that's a long time an hour a day too yeah that is it can it can be hard to find that time especially when you know you're tra- traveling a lot yeah. Um, you know, I find a lot of time to, to read and listen to podcasts because it's like um, audiobooks and whatnot. I'm driving. Always. And, you know, I can't practice while I'm driving. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> Although you can mentally practice, I guess. But, um, but yeah, I, w- I want to find more time to practice. You know, it's really inspiring being around Tommy. Man, that guy, I'm telling you, that guy outpractices anyone I've ever experienced. Yeah, you're telling me after a show y'all played... You were on the same room as him, same floor as him. Yeah. And you walked past his hotel room and he was practicing. Yeah, it was in it was in Germany. We, we play, he played a concert order like 2,000 people and like gave it, you know, he burnt a lot of calories that show. He gave it his all. As he does. And he, yeah, exactly, consistently. And he went back to his room and, um, you know, he did the Elvis getaway where he's gone as soon as the, the encore was done. Yeah, guy did And I stayed, packed around. up my gear and sold some CDs and that. And yeah. then I went back to the hotel and I'm coming up the elevator and I walk out and I hear him practicing with a metronome in his room. What? Yeah, I think he was playing a Larry Carlton guitar solo. <laughs> I think he was transcribing a solo. And this is at like 1 a.m. Oh, my God. And I'm like, man, th- this is a guy. Who, and, and on the road with him on a bus, he's up at 6 a.m. practicing up the front with the driver. <laughs> he's <laughs> up at 6 a.m. Yeah, oh he, he's, he's, he's an early riser. And um, I love the early riser. I think that's a big key to life. Yeah, I'm I'm with you there. Yeah. Um, although I just read a book called When. Ooh, it's, what's it's this? A, it's about just the perfect time to do anything. <laughs> and oh, it's, what? You know, pu- and a big chapter of it is like all the bad things that happen during the like midday slump. <laughs> okay. From like surgeons messing up botching a surgery to like, you know, dentists botching up dental operations to like pilots and all these oh car accidents or like a minor third <laughs> on a major ballot train wrecks um and you know there's a right time of day to do all these different types of activities and some people yeah just work better in the morning oh, and totally. some people are just night owls and you know there's a little type. test you can take on in there, and I'm definitely a morning person. You may be too. Whoa, when? Um, but you know, I'm on it. So, some people are better at better at night. But not Tyler Bryant is. We wrote a song the other day, and it was the dude is he gets into that child state. Uh-huh. I love the child states where you're not worrying about the phone. You're worried about how does this plug-in sound? How does my guitar feel? How does this song working? Like you're really zen. You're in the moment, and you're you're flowing. You know, and we. 
started writing at nine. I think we finished at four thirty. I left his house, uh-huh. and it was just in the, in the morning. In the morning, wow! It was he's relentless, and he he just <laughs> drank, and he he likes to drink, so he's like, I'm gonna be present, and like keep up with him. I don't drink a lot, but it's like we drank a bunch of light beer and moonshine, <laughs> and we we literally just created from this space that like I haven't accessed from since I was like fifteen, sixteen, seventeen. Um, it's crazy to see how different organisms operate and get things done. That's very interesting. Um, yeah, I mean, some people just are better at night, and some people I really admire. Uh, yeah. But I, I just get sleepy. I'm Dude, just me like, too. Yeah. I just would rather do something crazy and stream, like wake up at 4 a.m. That is wild. And 4 like, is too early. Yeah, 4 is quite early, but it's there's something magical about it. You know, there's a TED Talk where a guy talks about all the different 4 a.m., references in literature and songs oh whoa. Um, and there's something magical about that still song. crazy after I all like these it. years that he had to have thrown that bridge in there that paul simon song yeah i i read in this book called cosmic music where it's like the earth has certain vibrational uh beings like our our, our states of being during throughout the day mm-hmm. and it's all directly correlated with how many people are up when in like whatever general area you're in and like of course 4 a.m. to 6 a.m. is the quietest time seismically to be awake. There you go. Yeah. That's real. Yep. Fascinating. Cool, man. Well, dude, is there anything else? Like, I think you're a great modern example of, like, your plug-in undertones. Right? Like, so undertones just came out. Joe's 12 just came out. But it's a great modern example of, like, with the way artists are now, it's just, like, stay tuned to, like, the TV network that is you. It's like so many right. new shows and like so many new episodes of what you're doing. It's like you're touring, you have instructional content that's coming out, or just, uh, I don't even want to call this instructional, really. I don't even yeah, know we what call you call it. an online learning platform. Oh, beautiful. Where it's, uh, you know, you log on, you go to your, you pay $12 a week for 12 weeks, and you log into your dashboard, mm-hmm. and you get access to all this um material that's really well laid out mm-hmm. there's some other sites that are just kind of like you get access to this video library of thousands of videos it's overwhelming it's just it's like, where oh do man, you start like, yeah exactly but this is you know really painstakingly put together i mean it took forever to like edit the video did um, you edit it i didn't edit it, it was yeah a, a fellow in australia edited it but i nice. i kind of had to listen and p- say turn this you know totally you're interview involved off a little bit i'm super involved um but it, it was an amazing experience. But, yeah, I, I mean, that's the modern world. I, I wanted to ask you, you know, yeah. you, you're a few years younger than me. and Just um, four, not very many. Four, four years. Four years is a significant. Are, are you a millennial or are you a... Yeah. I was 95. I don't know. It I literally, know, people tell me. I don't know what me. the cutoff is either. Yeah. I'm a millennial. Um, oh, then you, I told you. may be a Gen, Gen Z. Am I a Gen Z? <laughs> Ooh. Um, but, you know, where, where do you see things going yeah. in? Because this is what I think about a lot. Where are things going in two years to five years? Dude, there's this uh, Naval Ravikant. Uh, he's I love Naval. That interview with Joe Rogan. So he talks unbelievable. about... Unbelievable. Unbelievable. I'm so glad yeah. you're tuned in. I think it's like the the gig economy. The gig thing. I think that's going to be crazy. Uh-huh. I think that's where everything is going, where everyone is their own. And you've read Gary, Gary Vaynerchuk's books. Yeah. Which is so funny because like Gary doesn't read. Right, <laughs> uh, <laughs> but it's like Gary talks about um, uh, and of all they talked about th- this concept of uh, everyone is ultimately like all the industrious menial jobs are gonna not really be as important 
coming up in the future, mm-hmm. and creativity is going to be the real currency. Um, so that's where I think things are going. I think there's going to be more people saying, hey, I'm my own person. I have my own quote-unquote brand of being, you know, and it's like I think that's where things are going to go. Tommy's been doing that forever. Yeah. And I think that's just going to keep on scaling. I see it all the time. Yeah, t- Tommy really had, had an interesting trajectory because, um, you know, he had a, a label deal mm. with Sony and, and was a big star in Australia. Um, really? You know, years, Commercial years, success? Years ago. Yeah, he, he was like the guy on the late night shows playing um, playing his Telecaster. And, um, right, he played drums too for yeah, a while. Yeah, right he, yeah, he did all the jingles like throughout like the 80s. and um, He was hot. Yeah, he's just done all, all kinds of different things. But <coughs> when YouTube came out and first started, you know, bubbling yeah. away, he would be playing concerts in Europe and people would look him up on YouTube and go, oh, my. Oh, like oh he's, my. You know, when you when a talent like that just spreads like wildfire, <laughs> especially, especially in, in those early yeah, days. Of, guitar Boogie, of that. that video. Exactly. And uh, his shows just started selling out left, right, and center. So Gosh. So he's an example of someone who really forged his own path using that. Um, that platform, and he and was I'll totally himself. Not to yeah, cut you off, exactly. he's only Tommy. Yeah, and you know it's a it's a really saturated world right now, and you 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 kind of think, where's where's that gonna go? Yeah, man. What do you think? Um, I don't know, but uh, speaking about Naval, yeah, another guy who uh, totally fascinates me is Nassim Taleb. Oh, I don't know Nassim, man. Um, who is well, that? Naval referenced him like 10 times in that Joe Rogan podcast. And a lot of Naval's little quips are from Taleb. Oh, I got to get in Taleb. Yeah, Taleb wrote a book called The Black Swan like 10 years ago, uh-huh. which was a bestseller. And um, Oh, really? And he's kind of like this, he's a very wealthy guy. And is he it says, fiction? Um, yeah, it's no, it's not fiction. He's a very wealthy guy and he says he has fuck you money. So basically, <laughs> he like disses everybody yeah why wouldn't you yeah. i mean he, he so he's a con- con- controversial guy in that sense but disagreeable um very much so a little conscientious <laughs> yeah he said if you have a reputation of being a jerk you'll never have to actually be a jerk <laughs> oh that's, that's um, so wise. but you know that's he's great. he's really he's really a fascinating character um and you know the black swan premise is the world is defined by un- unexpected events we're never going to know what's going to happen next. Right. It's going to be unexpected by definition. Totally. And um, he has another book called Skin in the Game, mm-hmm. which is about if you want to do something great in the world, mm-hmm. you have to put your neck on the line. Meaning if you're going to um, you know, just be a, a salaried person, <laughs> correct, in, in like any sense, of the, of the you're not, you're not going to reach great heights. Are you kind of doing that with Rodney though? Or like when you play for other artists, like aren't you kind of salaried? Yeah, I, I am, but but you're still so you when you're playing those shows. Yeah, but I'm I'm very conscious of it. Right, you have a hundred shows, and, and to be honestly, to be honest, like when someone's my boss, yeah, I it it goes against my grain. <laughs> totally, <laughs> so dude. So strongly, my grandma told me my dad in high school would re- if if he didn't respect a teacher, he would refuse to call them sir. Oh wow, <laughs> <laughs> I love that. And I, and I have the same kind of uh, me too. Like, uh, you know, and yeah. So I, and Nassim Taleb has another book called Fooled by Randomness, which is Fooled about by Randomness, by randomness which yeah. is about people get just locked into just tuning into the news <laughs> and tuning into this. Um, and we get fooled by randomness staring at our phones, oh God, you know, and, and Ga- Gary Vaynerchuk would disagree. But, um, you know, you put all these ideas together and think about where things are even going to go. And it's like, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. 
you know, you speak about reading, like I could be reading or I could be doing something on social media. Mm. What is, uh, I, I think a lot of people miss, mm. miss the um, important things. Which um, are what? Not, not, not saying I've figured out what are the important things, but I think a lot of people just kind of get sucked into this um, world of just trying to be fa- famous or you know, like I was on a talent show when I was a kid and it was ju- everyone around me <laughs> just wanted to be famous mm-hmm. and I did not care about that. You really didn't. You wouldn't have worked that hard to be at something that yeah. wasn't. I mean, you don't sit there and practice the guitar, um, you know, like you and I have to get famous, really. Dude, but I kind of I kind of want to be the boss, though. <laughs> I really do. Like, I want to have a lot of people on my shows. Yeah, well, you want to be great. Mm, that's true. And you want to be recognized as great. Yeah. And you want respect. Esteem, yeah. Yeah, and and es- es- esteem. Um, yeah, I, I think... But famous is a different thing. Like Naval said, what, what was his thing? Not that it relates to us. He says, you want to be rich and unknown yeah, and not famous and poor. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's something to be said for that. I mean, I meet famous people all the time. Um, not to... Throw anyone under the bus, but I met someone from one of the biggest bands on the planet the other day. Yeah, and I was like, "Oh, this guy's just not aware." I love that. How of, so? Of um, the water. Are you just see you can see in someone's mm-hmm. eyes? You totally can. How you know where their consciousness is? Yeah. And I was just like, this poor guy is just along for the ride. Oh, Literally man. one of the biggest bands, arenas to stadiums, like massive, massive, success. massive. Yeah. Um. So, must be hedonic adaptation to whatever scale of life of luxury and success that you have. Like it, it can't stay new. Things can't stay new. Like you, you, you're still trying to learn shit. It's like people who aren't as good as you on the guitar, just flat out. You can distill it to aren't as good. Um, they're like, what? What could that guy even still learn? It's like, well, only until you attain that skill do you realize it's infinite. Yeah, I mean, everyone's everyone's got, you know, the sixth string will always mystify people. <sighs> you know, there's just always the th- things things to figure out and things to learn, and you know, <laughs> that's so good. Like uh, I remember, uh, I met Les Paul when he was 94 <sighs> at the Iridium Club. Yeah, and you know, we sat in and and uh, he said, "Oh, so this kid just won 250 grand on a TV show." <laughs> What the hell are you doing here? That's what he said to me. Yeah. It, was really, it was really funny. He was a, a you know, very funny guy. <gasps> but he used to drive home after every show and listen to the board mix of his what? his his gigs to critique his playing at ninety four. What? So, you know, that's like such an inspiring thing to, you know, hear about Tommy practicing in his hotel room late at night and Les doing that and, you know, all all these great people like Robin Ford's not another guy, like you get him talking about you know, record making, and he's just gets so animated and so passionate. Mm. And I think, um, you know, you can get to a pinnacle in any, in any aspect of music, and, and there's still, you know, just so much to be found and so much to be learned. And um, it's never ending. Yeah, and really I is. I admire a lot of people who are just simple players as well. Me too. You know, t- to me, it's like if you have a a great musical spirit, <laughs> yes. you know, you can be like just playing the most simple music and i just i I like it sometimes so i don't i'm not like a snooty guy like everyone has to be this or that and i'm not saying like this famous 
hugely famous guy is like um i feel sorry for him because he can't play like me or anything oh but, right. um, was he a guitar player no what does he do um plays drums plays drums yeah. <laughs> but uh, he was a really nice fella yeah but i just you know um pity is an interesting concept <laughs> gosh ain't it <laughs> and uh and I'm, it's not a good thing especially within the dominance hierarchy of music yeah, it's not a, it's not a good thing. Nietzsche says it's really a bad thing. Really, but, but isn't it just simple awareness of where you are in relation to others, and and like the brutal truth of it all? Yeah, I guess so. But I mean, it's a deep, deep um, well to go down. But uh, yeah, at the end of the day, everyone's just doing their thing and doing their best. I love that. And, so and you know, you optimistic. Uh, I, and I guess you kind of take what everyone else does and. And uh, I think aren't I, but know, I think you're being nice, it. man. I think I think a lot of people aren't as uh, hardworking and as uh, focused as you are. Yeah. I don't think it's fair no. for you to like. You really like persistently, like over the years, you've like never stopped. Yeah, I love it. You found what you <laughs> love, but that's <laughs> not easy to do. So much. Yeah, like um, you still love guitar. Like you brought your guitar here, which is awesome. Is yeah, it that Maiden? <laughs> yeah, it is Maiden. Oh man, it's crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they, they drag your toes. Yeah, I, I, I love it, and um, yeah. I, I mean, I, I, I go around and I'm like, I, I realize that not, not everyone is, a, is as obsessed as I am. But you know, you meet people all the time who are. <laughs> like, yeah. Like you. Does that challenge you, or are you always welcoming of that? I, I welcome it. I embrace it. That's beautiful. You know, it's, it's, it's exciting. Yeah. It's exciting to see other people, you know, killing it. Oh, that's so true. Um, yeah, but I mean, man, yeah. There's there's certain true things in the world that I think mm-hmm. transcend um, popularity. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Not, I didn't mean to sound like a wizard or something. No, I day. love those things. Yeah. yeah, that's beautiful, man. Dude, thanks for doing this. Thanks for having me, Daniel. Yeah, this was, was beautiful. Uh, undertones, Joe's twelve. All things Joe Robinson. It's not gonna stop. It's not gonna stop. He wakes up. He doesn't eat sugar. He's gonna live for a while. He's Australian. Australians d- live very long. I-, I wonder what's the oldest person in your family. Must be triple digits. Oh well, I had great grandparents that lived um, to their late nineties. Oh, um, you got at least that then. Yeah. Yeah. Say something doesn't happen in Gothenburg or something terrible. Yeah, I mean you never know these things. Yeah, but um, I I think where am I gonna be when I'm sixty? Oh, because I'm hanging out with a lot of these guys. Yeah, who are my friends and mentors who are in their sixties, and I'm like, yeah, I, I admire most of them. Mm-hmm. Um, otherwise I probably wouldn't hang out with them. Right. Um, but you know I think what I want my life to be, where do I want to live? What kind of? How much time do I want to be spending on the road? Right. How much time do I want to be spending creating? Right. You know, uh, I don't. Uh, it's who knows. You know, like the, like the subconscious is a really powerful thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like you go to sleep at night, you don't choose what to dream about. Mm-hmm. You know, I'll get ideas that will take me certain directions for sure. Whoa. But it's fun to imagine kind of mm, the future. Of course and, it is. Um, and Australians are hardy people, but. They're also, um, I'm ca- I'm kind of critical of the Australian culture. Really? Yeah, in that there's a, a phenomenon called the tall poppy syndrome, 
which is like when a poppy gets too tall, people cut it off. What's a poppy? Like a like a plant, you know. Ooh. Um, people cut it off. So it's like it's don't get above your pay grade, boy. It's kind of <gasps> like it's in Irish culture as well a lot, and I and I hate that so much. Yeah. Because um, one of the things I admire about, you know, uh, American attitudes to like like uh, greatness yeah. is you know you see someone doing something great and everyone cheers them on wow it's like um business is a sport to these people whereas in australia at least especially where i come from which was like you know a socially disadvantaged kind of area according to the internet (laughs) it didn't feel socially disadvantaged when i was a kid it just felt like like the bush but uh you know people see like business people as like a sellout and people see oh wow people doing great things as like you just they just get fueled with with jealous resentment of course and it's and it's horrible so i'm very proud to be australian from australia we're a tough hearty people but yeah um i love it was i I love america wow and i love the founding fathers i love reading about thomas jefferson and yeah um benjamin franklin and uh I love Benjamin Franklin. Yeah, I love too. how he got into his line of work. I love how he got into politics. What a character. A wise guy understood the idea, the concept of social intelligence yeah. at a level that anyone from today could totally learn from. And you think, what would he do with the internet? Oh my gosh. Because when the There'd printing a lot press of Facebook came out, ads. it was like, you know, <laughs> the printing press was his huge thing. It was, yeah. I We're mean, there. I, We're at he, the 2.0. Would, would he be a meme king? Would he be a... Dude, <laughs> memes are where it's at. Would he be a blogger? Would he be a... I don't know. It's fun to imagine. It, wow. He he would hopefully have different pants. It's the only thing <laughs> I hope. <laughs> Beautiful. Well, man, I love that. I also love the, the concept of uh, taking... You moved here, and you found morals, and you found things within the American culture that you identify with. It's ballsy, It's and it's, and it's smart... And it's it's wise to say I resist certain I resist certain thoughts and I think these things and I'm gonna say it. That's really admirable, man. I think even that defiance and that that understanding of who you are in yourself comes through your music. It certainly comes through your content. And when I talk to you, I can just feel the the thought and the rationale that goes behind uh, your just state of being. And it's admirable, man. And I feel like a lot of people have a lot to learn from it. And uh, this was a really val- valuable hour. So thanks for giving your time. Thanks, brother. Thanks for having me. I admire you a lot. And um, I'm going to read those two books you gave me. Dope. All right, everyone. Thank you all for listening. In regards and respect to how to be a modern, self-contained, independent musician, I think Joe Robinson is one of the poster childs. Uh, 28 year old childs <laughs> in some sense uh, for this generation of people who, who have these dreams to go out there and do their own thing and make it happen on their own there's no major label helping Joe out or funding him uh, he does all this himself what a wise passionate positive thoughtful person I learned 37 things from this conversation um, the music that we heard today 8272, Grateful Dead, the infamous show where the guy was naked, right behind Jerry. We all know that meme. And Jerry was playing a sunburst strat, uh, Bertha. And uh, we have Joe Robinson's song, Reputation. Go check out the music video for that, too, on YouTube. And then, of course, check check out Mr. Sandman. 
Uh, yeah. Y'all stay cosmic. Talk to you later.